0: Welcome everybody to the Commiss Wrap-Up Show. We're here, breaking down week 18. Sorry we're a day late, but Johnny Gargano's back and it's time to break down everything for the Fame Baseball. Got two weeks left before the playoffs. All six playoff spots are sewn up. So what are we even going to talk about here? Don't worry, I'm going to fill an hour for you. All that and more of the Commiss Wrap-Up Show is next. all right everybody let's gather in let's talk for the fame fantasy baseball again i apologize for the day late but as i mentioned yesterday in the chat and i was not kidding i had a lot of those session blueberry ipas at great south bay at outlaw wrestling uh meeting some legends of wrestling seeing some up-and-comers being a part of the show right in the mix myself bizada we took in a lot of the live wrestling and it was every bit as outlaw as you can imagine no apron uh no logo on any single aspect. You wouldn't even know it was branded by Outlaw Wrestling, but some good talent. You may recognize WCW Crowbar as their world champion. He looks horrendous. Um, they call him a legend. He's not quite a legend. But anyway, we're going to get into some legendary facts about some of the baseball players and MLB at large. But let me start and talk about the for the fame. And I know it's a day late and I could sit here and break down all the matchups. And I'll give you the results for them just for. I guess, archive sake, I want to make sure we have them. Because if we go back and listen to this, if you are somehow in the future, 2025, listening to the podcast and you want to know, damn, what happened in week 18? I can't let you down. So let's just start with the first matchup between myself and Devin. Uh, So Devin got the win here and he should have. And I'm still fielding out my best roster, but it's really challenging right now with my team really thinned out. And now I'm even more hamstrung with Fernando Tatis Jr., because now he's classified as being suspended, which means he can't sit on my IL despite being injured still and probably not coming back, even if he was healthy or able to come back, I should say. He would be not allowed to sit on my IL, and there's no NA spot for that. He's just suspended, which means he has to sit on my bench. And I imagine there's a lot of people that are in playoff spots in other leagues that just flat out dropped him because of the fact that they can't hold on to him. And it's a roster spot at this point is so valuable. We talk about those streamer spots, whether it be offensive or pitching wise, you cannot just hold on to that roster spot right now. For me, it's easy. I just throw them in there. I had to drop somebody and I I think I dropped Trey Mancini for that spot. But Tatis is not coming back this year and he's going to take up a roster spot for the rest of the year. And his classification is SUSP and that's suspended. And I think Yahoo needs to fix that. They need to make it either NA uh, or a classification on its own. Maybe you add a suspended spot. I don't know how that works, but. Uh, there's no reason like he's not going to be playing. He needs to be placed somewhere else on your roster. Uh, and, you know, I'm just, I guess, lucky enough or unlucky enough that my team's not competitive this year, so I don't really have to worry about it. So I'm not dropping him. I got to make decision if I want to keep him. But that's a conversation for another time. But like I said, Devin should have gotten through this matchup with ease, and he did. I, you know, I didn't even score 100 points. Not the best week for Devin, but I'll focus on his team at, at large here. Best offensive production came from Ronald Acuna Jr., who seems to be turning it on a bit. 9.10 points. And the thing with Acuna is he's had an up and down season, obviously coming back from that major injury. He's not been the player that I think everyone wanted him to be right now. Uh, So he's sitting at 114 overall. And I'm looking at this great uh, Yahoo update. I'm not sure if you guys seen it on the platform here on the browser. It's very flashy, a little bit confusing Threw me by surprise over here. Uh, and it shows his season rank going up, and it actually says his last seven days rank. This is actually pretty damn cool. Uh, matchup projections and also his last, you, you can change the range of the games and talk about the depth chart. Wow, this is actually pretty damn cool that Yahoo did. So go and check it out if you're not, uh, if you're not familiar with it, you only use the app. Go on the browser for a second. It's actually really, really awesome. Anyway, Ronald Acuna Jr. has not been as good as you probably want him to be. I mean, 10 home runs on the season is not what you want. And I understand he's been battling injury Uh, And he's has been on the field. And when you're not on the field, you're not going to be able to put the points up, but he's supposed to be one of those players that carries you. And and maybe Acuna does that for Devin in the playoffs, but for right now, he's been sort of a liability for Devin and who knows, you know, we know injuries, especially of the, the severe type of injury that Acuna had last year, uh, that can get in your head a little bit and maybe take some time for him to come back fully. Uh, Maybe he's just favoring, the injury and not being able to go all out and is afraid he's going to get hurt again. There's something to be said about that, but there, you know, I'm holding out hope that the player is there. Uh, but you know, the Braves have no problem with the influx of talent. It feels like every time they call somebody up, whether it be Vaughn Grissom or Michael Harris, the second, you know, go back to Austin Riley a couple years ago, they just fill that void and they figure out a way to keep the cog moving and they keep signing players. And of course, I talked about it last week about that extension that Michael Harris II signed. I'm not sure if I mentioned on here or not, but again, I'll get to the news. I have a full list of news to get to in the past week and the top stories. But the Braves are doing a really good thing by locking up their players and guaranteeing their money. And this reminds me of what the Astros tried to do back in the day with their young core. And I think about it it could go wrong, obviously, you know, with Singleton back in the day, they, they kind of pegged him as one of those players that would be a cornerstone similar to George Springer and Carlos Correa. They tried to lock down Singleton as being that other type of player and it backfired, but it's not like they're on the hook for a, a lot, a lot of money, especially the Braves. If one of these guys doesn't pan out, like obviously you sign Ozzie for an extended period of time, Acuna signed for a while. Now, Michael Harris, Austin, Riley, all these guys are locked in for quite some time and you can't hit on every single one of them. So chances are somebody you're going to give money to somebody who's not going to produce at that level. But the way these guys are getting paid, hitting the open market, it winds up being value either way. So if Michael Harris, the second, yeah, let me look up the actual deal. It was because I want to speak to the actual deal, but you know, it's an eight year deal and he signed that six days ago. So say someone like Michael Harris signs that deal. And within the first three years, he's not, you know, he's not the same player that you thought he was. You're only giving him $72 million. I say only it's like $72 million is chump change, but in baseball it kind of is, especially for these long-term deals. Looking at that long, like you're able to lock up your core to the point where you don't have to pick and choose. You watch the Astros have to dismantle their team. And yeah, the Astros are still competitive and they're getting, you know, getting picked up by letting Correa go. And Kyle Tucker looks like a better player than him. But you have to be able to find those players. And imagine how good the Astros would be if they were able to keep George Springer and Carlos Correa and add them to that lineup right now. You know, who's the set? So anyway, I I like what the Braves are doing, and I think they're sort of changing the game a little bit. And obviously, the Rays were the original grandfathers of this by signing guys like Evan Longoria before they even hit the field. Uh, But the Braves are stepping up to the next level. Anyway, I'm not exactly sure why that rant started. I guess it was about Acuna. But offensively, Devin needs some help here. Uh, He has not had the best offensive output this week. Uh, Looking at guys, I think he finished the week with one, two, three, four, five, six home runs on the week. It's not what you want. You need more than that, especially if you're going to want to power Jimmy to death. And I think Jimmy right now is a team to beat. And everybody has to compare themselves to Jimmy. And if Devin was comparing himself to Jimmy right now, uh, every week Jimmy goes out there and blows him away. So he's going to need a little bit more from his offense. Pitching wise, same thing. I mean, Johnny Cueto cannot carry the weight of your rotation. He did have two starts as we got two wins. Almost had a complete game. Uh, that was on August 20th. That was two days ago. I think that was Friday night. Maybe it was Saturday night. Uh, the White Sox wound up winning two 0 Tony LaRusso took him out after eight and two thirds. Uh, you know, Lewis has been sort of the eye of controversy, and it's funny how he just kind of floats back into the fore of the fame controversy over time. But yeah. Johnny Cueto has been very, very good, but he's not the guy that Devin wants to be carrying him into the playoffs. You need guys like Logan Webb who had negative points this week to go out there and do your damn thing. He's the ace of the giant staff. He should be pitching like an ace for Devin, especially against Arizona. Can't give up three earned runs. Can't, he, he can't even go five. And this is part of the reason, again, Logan Webb has been very, very good all year. And that's, you know, we're nitpicking here. You know, when he's good, he's really good. Like the outing against Pittsburgh the week before, going eight strong, striking out nine. That's the Logan Webb that he wants on a weekly basis. But every once in a while, he goes out there and throws these stinkers. And the the problem that he really ran into against the D-backs is he did not record a strikeout for the first start in his career. Uh, He definitely struggled with his control. He walked three guys in just four and two-thirds innings. Man, you probably want to throw it out, but it's also something that has to scare you as well. So, And I'm also looking at other guys on his roster that probably should be doing a little bit more. You look at a guy like Lance Lynn, and I know Lance Lynn has struggled all year trying to come back from that broken leg. He's someone that Devin probably was like, you know what, I'm giving up on. But he also throws little outings here and there that you're like, all right, he might be back. Like last week against Detroit, goes six strong, strikes out seven, gets 7.10 points. You think Lance Lynn might be back. And then he goes out and does what he does against Cleveland, going five and two thirds. And again, he didn't pitch poorly, but there's also pieces of Lance Lynn that can come out there and actually be an ace. And I know Chicago has been mismanaged in a big way, and maybe Larusa has a part of this, but he ne- Devin needs his pitching staff so to do much more than they have been doing. And looking at his whole team right here, this is not a team right now that's going to go out and win a championship if they're playing this way. Could he do it? Look at the talent on the scene. Pete Alonso. Jose Altuve, Corey Seager, Ronald Acuna Jr. These guys can go out there offensively and slug people to death, but everything has to break right. It seems like right now Devin is sort of trying to find his way, feeling in the dark a little bit, and scoring 112 points on the week and comparing yourself to the other big dogs in the race. I mean, Jimmy put up 169 points this week. Perrier put up 140. Bazzotta put up 138. So did Travis. You you can't sit here and say I'm happy with 112 points. Yes, he's got the win. Yes, he's 12 and six. He still has a division lead, but he has to be like, oh shit, I really don't need my team going out there and scoring 112 points because I'm going to get bounced, whether it be in the first round or the second round if I get a bye. So I'm not saying Devin has anything to be nervous about because as we know, it ebbs and flows each week. Sometimes you have down weeks, but looking at the rest of his the rest of his roster he needs more weeks. Like he had the week against Perrier, the week against Alicia, the week against uh, Greg scoring 184 points, not the week he scored 124 points. So he can put up points, but this week sort of, you don't want to get into the habit of scoring 112 points. Yeah. You beat me because I, right now I'm an opponent that can be beat week to week when you score a low amount of points, but you're not going to beat any of those other five playoff teams. So, and I think, you know, to be clear about this, I think Devin has a lot of potential in his roster. And like I mentioned, those guys can carry any team. It's one of the better offenses in the league when they're firing in all cylinders. But I think a big piece of this is th- there's no one right now that's super hot. And again, that can change from week to week. And like I said, Ronald Acuna Jr. may be that guy down the, down the stretch. We're kind of waiting for him to catch fire. He has not caught fire all year. It's been just drips and drabs of uh, production. You know, you go back to the doubleheader against Miami Been four for nine. I think he had like four points. But I think right now the Braves offense is so well-rounded that he sort of blended in there. And you kind of don't even think about him. And I'm sure Brave fans are probably, if they listen to this, they're like, of course, we're pissed about Acuna. Imagine how good we would be with Acuna. But if they do it like with a whole team approach, you got to wonder if Acuna is not right if there's something going on with him that is kind of holding him back from being fully productive, I don't think the Braves would shy away from just shutting him down and getting him ready for the playoffs. So, you know, and the fact that he's walking is really good. I mean, he walked on Tuesday four times. He's seeing the ball pretty well. You want more of that, but the fact that he has 10 home runs, you know, you know it's not what you want to I mean, I, again, I also know he's not been on the field consistently, so that's been a problem, but, I'm trying to pick a guy on Devin's offense that can carry him th- over the finish line. And there are some names there, but he's going to need something to break right for him, especially comparing him to the other five playoff teams. All right, let's move on to the other matchup here quickly. And I know I said I wouldn't spend enough time on matchups, but here I am anyway. I- I'm just going to quickly say Perrier just absolutely bodied Karen. Karen dropped to four and 14 Perrier moved to 12 and six. Uh, Perry scored 140 points. I'm going to go through his roster as well and talk about the, the point getters and led by Paul Goldschmidt, 17.30 points, seven runs scored, seven singles, had 11 RBIs, three home runs on the week. Marcus Semi had a really good week too, 9.7 points. Jose Ramirez, 8.95. Mookie Betts, 9.55. Kyle Tucker, as I mentioned before about the Astros, he had 11.55 as well. Pitching wise, l- led by Jose Erquity, Uh, you know, Alec Manoa, who's kind of the the eye of controversy with the Yankees, uh, standing up to judge and all the Yankees, and also Garrett Cole. That's the feud I want to see, Garrett Cole versus Alec Manoa. I don't like Garrett Cole's chances going up against big dog Alec Manoa, but uh, I I have nothing but respect for Toronto's Alec Manoa. I think he's an awesome pitcher. Uh, Brandon Woodruff, 4.30. And Zach Gallen looked really good, 10.55 points, 12 Ks on this week. Uh, you know, back to backs. I mean, I'm going through his game log. Looks like Zach Allen might be back. August has been a really good month for him. His last three starts has gone at least seven innings Had eight points against Pittsburgh on the eighth, August 13, 7.25 against Colorado. He has not given up a run since August 2nd. So Zach Allen, we all know how good gallon can be. Uh, 12 K's was his career high. And I would say this outing, that was just against San Francisco on the 18th, is probably his strongest performance uh, of the 2022 campaign, but it also of, I mean, the last few years. And people also forget he's only 27 years old, uh, had 17 swinging strikes, and he's going into a matchup next week. Well, it should be tomorrow, actually, as you're listening to this. And it looks like he slated the pitch 24th. Should be, it should be Wednesday against Kansas City. And that's on the road uh, against a beleaguered Kansas City Royals offense. So look out for that as well. Uh, but I really like Perrier's output this week. Uh, very well-rounded performance. And this is not even with guys like Bo Bichette doing what he should be doing. Uh, you know, Bichette, who I moved, he was my franchise player. Drafted him really high over Trey Turner infamously at this point. He was dropped to seventh in the lineup earlier this week against the O's. Uh, and we all know he's been slotted in the fourth or fifth spot in the Blue Jays lineup for you know most of the season. Uh, he's been dropped to the bottom of the order now with Matt Chapman bumped to the fifth spot in his place. Uh, and according to Blue Jays Twitter, it's the lowest he's batted in his four-year career at the major league level. Uh, He's only hitting 276 and three home runs since the all-star break. So not a good look for Boba Shett looking to bounce back next year. And he might be a contender to like a buy low next year in the draft. If Perry doesn't keep him because people might be turned off by him, especially after he was taken so high. I know people get bothered by that, but sounds like Jose Ramirez all over again. And we all know how that uh, aired itself out. Uh, going to this other matchup, this was the closest matchup of the week that a stack correction almost changed the result, but Bazada held on for dear life. He got the win, moved to eleven and seven. Travis dropped to ten and eight. Now he's struggling a little bit here too, and we'll get to that in one second. So Bazada held on despite the stack correction that happened today. Uh, this morning, I believe it was uh, offensively for Travis led by Julio Rodriguez was the only guy who had double digit points, ten point eight. Had six runs scored, four RBIs at a home run. Everybody else was single digits. Uh, second closest was Saya Suzuki. Uh, Freddie Freeman as well had 9.2. And pitching wise, nobody had double digit. Best pitching was from Joe Ryan of Minnesota, 8.05. Uh, things could have turned out differently for Travis if, if Alcantara would have pitched like he usually pitched against the Dodgers, finished with negative points for the first time, I think. All year, and that's not just without looking at his game log, that, that has to be a fact. Uh three and two-thirds, not exactly what you'd expect for Sandy Alcantara. He's been lights out all year. And you gotta wonder if there's some fatigue on there. Also, Travis has to be concerned with the fact that Miami's not competitive. Are they gonna just kind of be careful with him, make sure he's okay? They have nothing to play for right now. They're not thinking about Travis's fantasy team. So that definitely got to air itself. Uh, especially be concerned with a little bit of that fact when you have guys that are on these non-competitive teams that are valuable for the future. And Alcantara, who's more valuable than him? I mean, Miami, we know they trade everybody. But who's more valuable than Sandy Alcantara at this point? And you have to be wondering, I don't know. Uh, maybe they're going to shut him down. I know we try to move the championship so far away from uh, the end of the season so you're not resting players. But what's not taken into consideration are these innings limits shutting guys down, being cautious. Those are all things we can't avoid. And Sandy Alcantara is like, I know he's playing for nationally Cy Young that might keep him in the lineup from week to week, but Miami has to think of the bigger picture here. Like I said, he's not thinking of Travis's team uh, they're thinking about Alcantara down the line for the future. And we know that he, again, is he is the franchise at this point. And we know that at the, you know, and I, I think, there's got to be some concern on Travis's end. Like, oh, if Alcantara gets shut down, what am I going to do here? And of course, he's got Cole in the trenches here. And Cole's been, you know, he's been Cole all year. You know, right now he's 69th overall in points. He hasn't been, he's definitely not the AL Cy Young this year. Uh, but he's been good in spurts. Like he looks like the old Garrett Cole. And we see those outings. He's gone at least six innings. In, I mean, since July he goes out there and does his thing. He's just not dominant. Like there's something about the Yanks. And of course the whole Yank Yankee lineup and everything about the Yankees as Don just sneezes in the microphone, everything about the Yankees has been sort of uh, slumping. And Garrett Cole is a result of that as well. Like he goes out there against Tampa on the 15th, gives up one run and he gets tagged with the loss. So obviously it's not what you want against Toronto going out there. Uh, giving up four, he should be better than that. But he has not been bad by any means. But for the money being paid to Garrett Cole, and I know we don't want to make it about that, he has to be better, not just for Travis, but for the Yankees. I'm speaking as a Yankee fan. He has to be dominant. He just hasn't been dominant this year in in consistent stretches. There's been some outings, and the one that comes to mind specifically is that Boston outing. Of course, the Yankees gave him so much run support. They won 13-2. to I think it was back mid July, July 17th, something like that. And he went out there and struck out twelve. I mean, he did the same thing against Cincinnati in a losing effort. He was dominant, but the Yankees couldn't hold it. the Yankees bullpen couldn't hold on to it. So there's been like spurts, like I mentioned. He just not he hasn't been the dominant ace that like Houston had. And I know that's nitpicking. And you know, people might be like, We wish we had Garrett Cole, but I don't know, Crosstown get with the Mets, you know. They're getting everything they asked for with the Scherzer when he's on the field. It just feels like Garrett Cole, I don't know, hasn't been as advertised. And maybe it's just because the Yankees haven't won with him. And that could all change in October, and I would feel a lot differently. But, you know, there's something about Garrett Cole uh, that when the Yankees are not playing well, kind of rubs Yankee fans the wrong way. I don't want to speak for all Yankee fans, but he seems to have a tendency to make people not like him against, you know, I'm thinking about the Mo- Manoa thing specifically. And of course I'm not going to take Manoa side because you don't know what's being said on the field, but Gary always seems to be in the mix of these type of disputes, similar to the Dallas Braden stuff with a rod where it's like some, you know, puffing your chest out about some unwritten rule. And Gary seems to be the first person to do that. But you got to remember. I mean, he's, he's coming from Houston as well. So, Where were you with all the unwritten rules and I don't know kind of ranting here, but where were you with these unwritten rules and when it was happening right under your nose and don't act like you didn't know about it. So I don't know, you know, my, my whole demeanor can change on him. And I know there's a lot of pressure on a guy like Garrett Cole to pitch really well because of the money being paid. And I understand that's like the low hanging fruit here. But all I'm asking for is to go out in October and just dominate because that's what the Yankees are missing. They're missing that dominant performance in the playoffs where someone can let them hang around until their bats come around. And I think inevitably, we're going to get the Astros. We're going to get the Yankees in the American League Championship Series if we're lucky. Obviously, the Yankees have sputtered out. They seem like the wheels are popping off, but they're in desperation to get this season turned around. And this, this Subway Series, the win today, against Max Scherzer, that might be the spark they need. I mean, if the walk-off grand slam that Donaldson hit the other day wasn't the spark, this might be, who knows. But I think right now, if the Yankees are going to make it to the World Series, they're going to have to go through Houston. And they're going to need someone to dominate that Houston lineup, which has been just simply better than the Yankees for the second half of the season. It's just been better. Outside of Judge's 47 home runs, that lineup is more well-rounded. They put more pressure on the opposing pitchers, and they have the ability to extend at bats more so than the Yankees are able to do right now. And I think right, right now, Houston has to be the favorite to move out of the American League. But if we're talking strictly in Yankee world, how the Yankees do it, they need Cole to dominate, bringing it full circle to Travis's team. And if Travis wants to win a championship, he needs Cole to dominate as well. Looking at Bizada's team, Matt Olsen finished the week 10.80 points. Wilson Contreras, 9.75. Michael Harris, the second, the apple of everybody's eye. And I think Bizada has to be considering keeping this dude. Uh, he had a 391-foot home run off of uh, Ronzi Contreras uh, back. I think it was on was – uh, what day did he hit that home run? Earlier in the week. I don't know. My, all my days are all – Mixed up. Uh, maybe it was not. Yeah, I, maybe it was today. Actually, that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, who knows? He just hit a home run. And I saw, and I actually, I think I saw it today on Instagram. That home run that he had. Either way, sneaky power from the for the from the little guy. Seven point eight five points. Uh, he's been really good, and he's been someone that Bazada may be thinking about locking up long term as well, especially with the control the controllability of a guy like Michael Harris II. Uh, Doles Garcia, what can you say about him? He's been pretty consistently, uh, good for Bizada, 19th overall in points. And he came out of nowhere last year. Uh, I think many people were scared that Garcia wouldn't be able to replicate the breakout 2021. And I think at this point sitting here in September, it's safe to say he silenced many of those people, made them eat their words. Uh, I guess pundits are using the word useful, And Yahoo specifically is using the word useful for Adoles Garcia. He's been valuable, straight valuable. And I think he's kind of etched his way into being like a building block for the Texas Rangers. And who would have thought, especially signing Marcus Sammy and Corey Seager, Adoles Garcia is every bit as valuable at this point. Uh, 20 home runs on the year, 76 RBIs. Uh, Yeah, been a very, very good player. Pitching-wise for bizada led the way by Tristan McKenzie, 10.6 points. Joe Musgrove continues to be a stud. Uh, he had, how many points did he have in the week? 9.05, 12 Ks. Uh, McKenzie finished the week with 14 Ks. I think he had two starts. Nah, he had 14 Ks in that one start against Chicago on the 19th. Absolute dog of a performance. Tristan McKenzie, Uh, yeah. 14 Ks. I mean, the white Sox are kind of lost at the plate, but still very, very impressive against the division rival. So very, very good matchup between these two teams. And like I said, Travis is sort of sliding here, trying to hold on for dear life. Uh, he was kind of, I don't know. Everyone thought he was going to win that Outer Pops division. He slid to the point now where he's, I think it's out of the realm of possibility. He's Three games back from Jimmy, obviously clinched the playoff spot. So there's no worrying about that. But I think at this point he's getting ready to play. And that for that first buy in game, and you know, he's lost four straight five of six, like the- this is sort of troubling times for the defending champ. And of course he built a huge lead, uh, a surplus of wins in that middle of the season from weeks nine to 12, he was able to sort of get his wins, you know, only lost one time from week six to week 13. So that really helped cement his playoff spot but he's getting cold at the wrong time. I think he has to be worried about where his team is. I think he said it too. Who's had a worse slump myself or the Yankees. And if he loses to me right now, he's down on a Monday, 11.9 points. I'm projected to win, but projections don't mean anything. I'm going out there. I'm going for the jugular. I want to, I want to put some damage in the champ season and something personal Trav, I just like this for me is kind of like one of my playoff games. Like I'm going out there and trying my best to win this matchup because of the fact, Uh, You are one of the more talented teams in the league. And, uh, you know, I want to make a statement here and show what it's like. And I need to get right for the consolation bracket, which is a a different story for another time. So I'm coming for you, dude. I'm four and 14, but I'm coming at you like this is the playoffs on the line for me. Uh, Other matchups here, looking at the other playoff teams. As I mentioned, this was a sick matchup between Nick and Jimmy. Nick scored 153 points in a losing effort, drops to seven eleven, And Jimmy moves to 13-5, scored 169.05 points. And we've been speaking very highly of Jimmy every single week, and rightfully so. He's been every bit as advertised. Uh, he all but clinched that playoff spot. Uh, not playoff spot. The point title at this point. And back to back point titles is nothing to be shying away from. If you are able to win back to back point titles, that says something about the way you're drafting because I know we have this dynasty level of league that we're putting together teams that there's large portions of our team that can be kept, whether it be NA or the under certain amount of year players and the pitchers. But there's still the draft aspect, there's still the roster management that Jimmy has to do. And to score the most points two years in a row, it says something. He's going to be on the trophy the Howard's cup two years in a row. Uh, this is a big deal. And I know his bigger aspirations has been some shots thrown his way. Like, yeah, he has two point titles, but what does that even mean if he can't get uh, a championship? And I think Jimmy has bigger aspirations for this year. Uh, looking at, we talk about double digit points offensively. He got double digit points from multiple guys. Will Smith, his catcher at 10.25. Lindor had 10.25 himself. Starling Marte had 12 points. Dansby Swanson had 13.75. When you have a g- multiple guys have double-digit points, that's when you're going to win. That's when you're going to go over and you're going to have a lot of points. And that's why he has 169 points. And consistently at a clip, Jimmy's just scoring more points than everybody. And like I said, you're winning the point title with that. But also, he's just slugging people to death. Like He got Nick's best shot, and he still wore him off by 13 points. Uh, yeah, or 16 points, I should say. Pitching wise, his pitching did not even pitch as well as it probably could. His best outing was from Justin Steele, uh, the Chicago Cubs. He had 11.35 points, 14 Ks. Uh, but Robbie Ray pitched okay, 8.3 points. Sonny Gray pitched well, but he needs more from Marinola. Didn't pitch well. Jose Brios had a, a decent outing, 8.2 points, 9.5 from Merrill Kelly. But he could have had had more points than he did offensively, did did their thing, but the pitching could be better. Like Scherzer had 4.10. You know, definitely could be better. Uh, Scherzer did not pitch well against the Braves. Um, Well, let's not say pitch well. I mean, we talk about high expectations for pitchers. Scherzer's one of those other guys. Um, So he did strike out eight. Um, and he only allowed run through six, but after striking out Olsen to begin the seventh, he walked to and couldn't handle a little tapper that went for a single and he was pulled with the bases loaded and the bullpen gave it up. So the line looks worse than it is. So I forgive me, Max shares. I don't come in all my dreams and murder me. Um, but yeah, that is, you know, Jimmy's offense carried the way, but the pitching could have been better. And Jimmy could be sitting here with 185 points if his pitching did their thing. So. As I mentioned, at this point, uh, let me just talk about Greg's team quick because Greg is one of those other playoff teams. Only scored 122 points. Got the win over over Alicia, who scored the least amount of points this week. Or second to least, Karen scored the least amount. Uh, Only guy with double-digit points for Greg's team was Brian Reynolds of the Pirates, 10.85 points. And then pitching-wise, he got a huge lift from Charlie Morton over the course of two starts overall 23 strikeouts, two quality starts got one win against the Mets somehow didn't make the decision. And then and they lost after the 11 K outing. So it was uh, two consecutive double digit strikeout games for Charlie Morton. Uh, and believe it or not, he's done that five times this season. He's a 38 year old veteran. Uh, he's able to kind of turn back the clock on any given night. And uh, another aspect of the Braves that just everything's clicking. They went from teams sort of struggling to find, find an identity only a couple of years ago to probably the best run franchise in all of baseball right now next to Houston and probably Tampa Bay. I really can't think of another franchise that's been run consistently as good as the three of those franchises. And Atlanta might be the cream of the crop at this point uh, with the Rays sort of right there, right neck and neck with them. And then Houston obviously has been the class of the league. I mean, as much as they're annoying and everyone wants to throw the cheating card out, they continue to churn out quality talent and take players. I mean, Charlie Morton was there as well. Charlie Morton was in Tampa as well. It's no coincidence that all three teams saw the value in one Charlie Morton. So those are the matchups. Uh, Looking at the standings right now, as I mentioned them before, Right now, as it stands, and this will not stand because we still have two more weeks of matchups. But Jimmy right now is in the lead for the Hotter Pops division 13 and 5. He's 5 and 4 in the division. Right now, he has about a 200 point difference in the point championship. He already won the second half of the King of the Hill. So, congratulations to Jimmy. I know he got his deposit from Nick. And thanks again to Nick for arranging that. That was a really fun side pot that we were doing. And I do appreciate that. And I would love it to return next year if you were able to navigate that and arrange it. So that'd be awesome. And for for Jimmy, I mean, he right now has 2,532.85 points. Second best would be Perrier, who has 2454.10. So doing the math on it, it's a little less than 100 So Jimmy would have to, I mean, it's two weeks, so it's possible. So I guess everyone that's kind of crowning him right now is jinxing him. But he's, if he's going to do what he's been doing the last few weeks, he should be able to clinch it with ease. And if you get that trophy, Jimmy, you have to come back to Long Island. You have to get the trophy. It cannot stay over my shoulder anymore. It's in my podcast room. It's over my shoulder. It's your, it obviously wants to come home to you. You you're going to win it again. It has to come home with you and it's going to cost like $60 to ship it. So you got to fly yourself here and get it. You fly home with it. We took a picture with it, with you. You just didn't take it home. It wants so badly to be with you clearly. So take them home, you know, drink something out of it, eat some cereal out of it. I know that the Joseph George Lucchese cup, when Karen tried to drink out of it, it was leaking. So I'm not sure if Travis has tried to eat any sort of food, like a cereal or ice cream out of it. You have to let me know, Trav. But I think this cup has, it's a little bit more, uh, I guess, sewn up on the sides. There's no leakage points. I'm looking at it right now. I think it's possible to eat cereal out of this thing. And listen, I can't eat cereal out of it myself, it's not mine. I am on the trophy at one point, but that was many moons ago. I will not eat cereal out of a trophy I do not own. So Jimmy, get the get the damn championship if you win it or Perry, if you if you somehow come from behind and win this. You need to be the one to eat cereal out of it. Someone got to eat cereal out of the Howard's Cup. Just my opinion. But yeah so the Otter Pops division right now, Jimmy has a one game lead. So if he gets the win this week against Karen and by all accounts, he should, he's favored by about 40 points. He will clinch the division. He will get the buy. And then for the grand Balfour division, a lot closer than probably the other teams would like it to be right now. It seems like it's come down to Devin and Perrier, but if both of those teams lose, which is possible, Nick put out a, out a fight to Jimmy he could actually defeat Devin and say Greg defeats Perrier and Bizada beats Alicia which should happen we'd have a three-way tie at the top so whatever the tiebreaker is it could come down to the last week of the season and the schedule we have for the, for the last week of the season let's go to week 20 quickly we have Devin versus Bizada, which was is huge but Perrier is facing Alicia. So, if that scenario goes down, we definitely are going to have a two way tie to finish it. And a tiebreaker is going to determine the division champion. So, I don't know. There's some drama there. Not a lot of drama in the playoffs because we have all six teams have been clinched for the last two weeks. It's been a foregone conclusion for even longer than that. So, at this point, we're looking to manifest some drama amongst ourselves, but the buy is a huge deal. So these guys are fighting tooth and nail to get it. But, you know, maybe there's some comfort for like a Travis right now, who knows he can't win the Otter Pops division. He's just trying to gear up and get ready for the playoffs. I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is, but anything can happen. And you, you, you get that buy, you lose that week after and you're still going home. But right now this might be the strongest bunch of six teams we have in the history of the league, like the difference between them. Like I was, I've been sort of pounding the pavement, talking about how good Jimmy's team is, but every single team I'm looking at could potentially win a championship. And, you know, from top to bottom and record wise, Travis is the worst of the bunch and he's still great looking at his team. At any point, any of those guys can carry him through the rest of the playoffs and get him another championship. But I wouldn't be shocked if any of these teams did it. Sort of the dark horse here is asai Moonsaw with Greg. He's been quiet all year, quietly 12 and six. He's had weeks where he goes out there and he, you know, he's averaging right now 132 points. So he does go out there and score points, but he doesn't do it. I guess catching a lot of people's eye at like the other teams have been doing and I'm going to go through his his point totals, but he just goes out there and does his thing. He's only lost twice, well, once since week 12. You know, 147 points back in week 17. Beat the defending champ. Uh, scored 212 points against Devin. That was on the double week uh, or the 10-day week after the All-Star game. 143 points against Karen. 145 beat Jimmy. So, like, all the praise were given Jimmy. And he'll end the year against Jimmy as well, so that should be an interesting matchup as well. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, some of the schedules should be very, very intriguing as we go towards the end of the year. And I cannot believe it's the end of the baseball season already. And it feels like yesterday we're sitting in that draft and I'm already looking forward to next year and and obviously don't want to wish it away. But uh, this is my favorite part of the year. And I know everyone's getting ready for fantasy football, but nothing compares to this this league. And that's all because of you guys, I really appreciate everybody's effort into keeping this league awesome and keeping the chat popping off sometimes. And I know it gets quiet because like I said, there are six playoff teams sewn up. So some of these matchups don't have as many ramifications as you probably want them to have. But once the playoffs start, I'm very, very confident that everyone's going to be locked in. i it's going to be as active as ever. You know, every, you never know what you're going to miss in the chat. Like you go to sleep, wake up to about 75 messages, some Photoshop of Karen with, the Fourth of fame tattoo, Nick sending some sexy leg pics, whole bunch of stuff like that. Uh, Karen talking about how she likes giants and hates clowns or whatever. So make sure you pay attention to the chat. Maybe next year you guys will download the discord. We do live watching games and share our screen. But, you know, you guys are all unwilling for change. But if group me disappears like I promised it would, maybe you have no choice. So we'll see if I'm just be a authoritarian commissioner next year. I don't know. We'll see. But. You know, all right, we're going to get into the news of real baseball. And I know we at this point, we're about 40 something minutes in and I appreciate you guys listening. I hope you're enjoying this. There's only a few men, a few more of these podcasts left here in the season. And we'll come back to you in the off season, of course, talk about some of the news popping in, but. Not week to week like this. So enjoy it while it's here. We'll be back with the news in one second. All right, here we are breaking down all of the news of the week in baseball and want to start with old man, Albert Pujols. We talk about legends and people that are destined for the hall of fame. Albert Pujols, who's playing for the St. Louis Cardinals where he should be of all time. Uh, he is on kind of a run here trying to get to 700 home runs and who knows if he'll do it this year. It's he's still a few away. Obviously, you know, Pujols can go on stretches and hit home runs, but it the bats are not as guaranteed as they were back when he was the staple of that lineup winning World Series, but I don't know if you guys saw the highlight from 4 days ago. He had a pinch hit grand slam to make it 10 nothing. Uh most notably it was number 690 of his career. And since then He's gotten up to, I think at this point he's at 692, but seeing him come off the bench for a pinch hit and get a grand slam, go out and watch the highlight of that clip, uh, where pool has got off the bench and and did his thing. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys can hear this. I'm playing in the background and Austin Gomer serves it up and an absolute mayhem in St. Louis, uh, they went absolutely crazy. And I know a lot of people here in the league do not like the Cardinals. I uh, feel like, I guess maybe because they have history beating the Mets, but very, very awesome moment. Uh, Pool halls. It's so awesome to see that number five in a Cardinals uniform, doing big things. And, you know, St. Louis is playing some meaningful games. You know, it's not like they're out there, not in the hunt. They're very much a contender to win the national league this year, five and a half games up in the NL central probably going to win a division title and pools may get another big moment in the playoffs. And we know what happens when he's in October. Um, all right, moving on here. Uh, his former team, Albert pools. That is, if you guys saw, I think it was last Monday, the angels were playing the Mariners and I know it's late at night, but if you guys are losers like me watching baseball late at night, the Angels forgot how to play baseball in the ninth inning and hand the Mariners a four-run lead. So they were, it was tied 2-2. And again, I'm going to play this. I'm not sure if it will. I'm going to play it here. And it was like everything you would imagine from a little, little league game. And the ball goes through the catcher's legs, tries to throw it to second, throws it over his head. So the guy from first goes to second. Then the center fielder throws it to the third, cuts it off. And then we get a, a base hit which shouldn't be a base hit right to the shortstop throw to the catcher. They put they the guy on third in the pickle. Then they decide to throw a third guys. The guy scores going from third. Just an absolute mess of an inning. They should be ashamed of themselves. Ball goes flying when they try to tag. It's just, I'd be ashamed to be an Anaheim angels fan. Just absolutely hard. Uh, we also had MLB's number 19 prospect, Brett Beatty, hit a two-run home run in his first ever at-bat to put the Mets up 4-0 at the Braves in the top of the second inning back five days ago. So Beatty, uh, we were talking about it in the chat, and Beatty has um, some uh, some hype behind him, I would say. you know, If you're following the Mets prospect pools, there's been some hype behind his name. He came up with some trade talks targeted by some other teams and wanted to see if Brett Beatty was available. And the Mets decided not to move him in any deals. And he's getting his chance at the, in the show right now in a big moment. Uh, he'll remember that forever Two run home run and we'll see what he becomes as a player, but it was really awesome to see. He has, he's had some consistent at bats in the Mets lineup for the last few days. So we'll see if he's going to stay here for the remainder of the year or maybe he goes back down triple a with some experience and then they wait for him to come back up, but you know, really awesome moment. Uh, So before the, this was as of three days ago, and this was the number that staggered me. I I put it in my notes and they have lost some games since, and the numbers are a little bit skewed because then they won today. They've been losing. And today was the first back to back win they've had since the beginning of July, Bob Nightingale, who covers the Yanks. uh, He put the number in, in, kind of perspective three days ago, they had lost 24 of their last 36 games overall. And at this point, the Yankees, as I mentioned, they were looking for a spark. Uh, Other big numbers. And this is as of three days ago. And this is when I put the numbers together and they are. Obviously they got the win tonight and all that. But as of three days ago, the Yankees were three and 13 since the trade deadline, eight, 19 since the all-star break. They've been shut out five times in August. They haven't thrown a pitch with the lead since August 13th in Boston. That was three days ago, so obviously that happened today. They had the lead. Joey Gallo has just as many home runs as the Yankees win since the trade deadline. Since the trade deadline, the Yankees have three wins. Jordan Montgomery has three wins alone with the Cardinals. Andrew Benintendi has three games all season with three Ks in a game. They've all come with the Yankees since the trade deadline. And Benintendi as a Yankee is batting 200 while Gallo is a Dodgers batting 231. And finally, Frankie Montes has six earned runs plus twice this season. Both times have come with the Yankees. So. Wow. I mean, again, kind of turned the page a little bit today. And if they would have lost to the Mets today, we'd be looking at a different story and everyone kind of expected the Mets to roll over them with Scherzer and DeGrom lined up. But that's baseball, Susan. That's baseball. But as I mentioned before, there's something definitely wrong with the Yanks, and I think they have to turn it around. And I'd rather them slump now than do it in October. And we all know that their bats do shut down. And I'd rather it happen in August than in October, and maybe they figured this out. We've seen some passion from Aaron Boone. He's actually had some spark behind him for the first time since I've seen it, slamming down on the desk, saying it's right there, and they're throwing away a good thing if they don't turn this around. But looking at their season thus far, it's been ugly. I mean, obviously they won that the the final game of that four game set against Toronto, and then they win today against the Mets. But before if. if if they lose to the Mets, if they lost to the Mets tonight, we could be looking at an absolute sinking ship, especially with the local emphasis on this matchup in uh in New York and the fact that the Mets right now have kind of mowed past them. And like I think at this point they're four games better than the Yanks. Mets of seventy nine wins. Yankees at this point have seventy four. I'm gonna pull up the standings actually. This is all from the top of my head. I probably shove it up in front of me. But there was a time where the Yankees were the class of the league and everyone was talking about, are they going to break the Mariners' record? And are they going to be able to withstand this pace? And how many games are they actually going to win? Well, they're lucky they built up such a big lead and the ALEs can't figure it and get out of their own way. They're still eight games up on the Rays. They're eight and a half games up on the Blue Jays. The Red Sox couldn't get out of their own way. But if they're in a different division, what does it look like? So they're kind of playing with house money at this point. They're going to win the division, I think, barring another collapse midseason. Hopefully, we're out of the woods there. But say they had a team similar to the Mets, have the Braves right up their ass. Like th- that could be, um, it would be one of the bigger collapses in the history of baseball. So, man. It's, you know, the the Yanks, they went 61 and 23 to start the season. And we know that's not a sustainable pace in Major League Baseball. But even when they dropped all those games, there's still eight games up. And I guess it's more proof than what the, you know, the, that what the 2001 Mariners did might be more impressive than any other World Series win because they wanted a consistent clip that no other team has been able to do. And we know post so much about the momentum, the luck and in individual games. If you take 162 games on average, momentum and luck, and take that out, you're left with a pretty good record of who the best teams are every single year. So... Right now, the Dodgers are currently on pace for 113 wins. They're very close to a 700 record, which would only be the third team in history to do that since the expansion era. And we mentioned the 2001 Mariners, but also the 1998 Yankees. The Dodgers did it in 2020 with the over 60 games clip, but this is a full season we're looking at. So. Yeah, it's kind of crazy when you look at the grand scope of things and how how much everything was going in the Yanks' favor is is just as much as is going against them. But like I said, I mean, every baseball team goes through ebbs and flows, and right now all the bad's kind of happening at once for the Yanks, and maybe the last two games turn it around, but maybe not. Maybe they're not done with it, and we see the wheels have fallen off the bullpen. Losing Michael King was a huge loss, and we thought that the moves they made at the deadline would help them, but they've done nothing but hurt them. And I don't think that's the case for the full year. And I think Montes will help. And I think Benintendi will work better than Gallo. But right now, all those moves seem like they're pushing the wrong button. But like I said, that pace wasn't sustainable. And what the Mariners were able to do back in 2001, that's an aberration. That's not something that can happen every single year. And I'd rather the cold streak happen. If it has to happen, I'd rather it happen now than happen in October. Uh, So, they get DeGrom tomorrow. They were able to beat Manoa, able to beat Scherzer. Everyone was ready to write the Yankees off as dead. But as I mentioned, baseball's funny like that. They can't beat the scrub pitchers. They go out there and they find a way against these ace pitchers. And it wouldn't shock me if DeGrom got the win tomorrow and he dominated the Yanks. But just as much as it wouldn't shock me, it wouldn't shock me if the Yanks go out there and and get there and, and get another win. Maybe just hang in there and get to the bullpen. But that's what makes baseball so great. You can't predict it. You can't simulate it. It just has to happen. And when you line up Manoa, Scherzer and DeGrom, that looks like it should be three straight losses. And right now they won two out of the first three. And we'll see what happens against the ground tomorrow night. Moving on in the news, We had Marcelo Zuna was arrested in Atlanta with DUI charges and then wound up being in the lineup yesterday. I'm like, what the hell? The video is shocking. He tries to tell the the police officer that he's uh, Marcelo Zuna of the Atlanta Braves. The announcer, I forget what team he played, they played yesterday. I should look it up, but it doesn't really matter. The announcer trolled him by saying Marcel Ozuna of the Braves in the same kind of tone that Marcel Ozuna told the police officer. So it was like the most low key troll I've ever heard. So really well done by that announcer. Uh, so, you know, Marcel Ozuna, like, har- I mean, at this point, it's a character concern. The guy obviously has a history, but you got to lead by example a bit. And I understand they want to win baseball games, but Ozuna. He, he cannot be in the lineup for you guys. Like, it's, it's just not something you should be doing. There's got to be some level of like tact, like, after, especially, there's got to be someone in that locker room that someone affected by a drunk driver. Statistically speaking, it has to have been the case. How, like, how, did, how would they feel? I mean, he was out of the lineup today, played against Houston. So. It, it's just, it's ridiculous. He's even playing, but I'm sure they heard some backlash to that. So he wasn't in the lineup today, but we'll see what they do. John Heyman dropped a tweet two days ago after facing their tough NL East rivals 15 times in 18 games. The Mets finally get a break and get to the soft part of their schedule when they play tomorrow at Yankee stadium. Well, how'd that work out? John Heyman. Uh we also had Massachusetts playing Pennsylvania in the Little League World Series turn a rare quadruple play in the game. You ask, how is that possible? There's only three three outs in an inning. Uh so they got the batter out twice because of the fact that let me just I gotta play the clip because hopefully you guys can hear this. I'm not sure if you can. So lofted out to left field diving catch hit the cutoff man double up the runner gets the runner at home and now there's two guys running from first to second they are absolutely in no man's land tag both the guys so obviously the four outs don't count because only three count and the batter and the guy in first seemed unsure that the ball was even caught or trapped. I don't think the ump made the call. But either way, the first base coach should have been shouting the call at both of them. And they both look back at the first base coach like, what do we do? I would say it's on the fir- on the base coach. But go back and watch the highlight. Um, somehow better base running and better fielding than the Anaheim Angels or the Los Angeles Angels, Anaheim, whatever you want to fucking call them. Trash franchise. All right, moving on here. Just a number here post trade as of 12 hours ago, Juan Soto 163 OPS plus Gallo 179 OPS plus. So obviously small sample size. Joey Gallo has been pretty good for them. Um, Yeah. I don't believe that's going to stand for the rest of the season, just to be clear. All right, the other note here, this was as of five days ago from the Minnesota Beat Rider. In Cleveland, they're in first place with a $65 million payroll, the youngest roster in the majors, and just for fun, nine top 100 prospects still in their system. It ain't all about money. You need baseball people who want to win and know how to do it. So this was a quote tweet from the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, the Guardians had said, If that can't see us, at least they can feel us. And it's just like a little highlight clip. And as I mentioned, standings, they are two games up on the twins right now. No business being competitive. Do I think they're going to be competitive in the American League? Absolutely not. Do I think they're going to win the World Series? Absolutely not. But it still shows other teams that have been sort of struggling at the bottom of the standings. There's no reason a team like Detroit couldn't have taken that next step this year. There's absolutely no reason. They have the talent to do so, and a lot is broken wrong for them. But a team like the Tigers can be in that position in the Central. Uh, it shouldn't be the Gardens. They're not supposed to be ready yet, but here they are. And as they mentioned, uh, I can't even say the beat writer's name, Dayan Kovacek. Looks like that's how you say it. Probably completely butchered. $65 million payroll. If you remember correctly, Max Scherzer's AAV, Max Scherzer... AAV is 43.3. So that's like 75%, 65% of the whole (laughs) payroll of the Guardians. Uh, Not to mention, too, nine top 100 prospects in all of baseball still in the system, not called up yet. So the future is very bright in Cleveland. And again, they're not supposed to be competitive this year, but somehow they are. As I mentioned earlier, Josh Donaldson hit that walk-off grand slam against the Rays five days ago. <laughs> Rolled his job and wound up getting the win after blowing the save. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna play this and see if it actually plays on the podcast. But if not, go back and check out the the grand slam. Yankees were down seven four, no outs in the bottom of the tenth. Looked like they were on the verge of losing a backbreaking loss to the division rival and Donaldson saves them here. And yeah, they went on to lose a couple more games in a row and not be able to turn it around. But this, if they would have lost this game, that's one of those losses that can turn the season completely around in the, in the wrong way. Uh, Yankees need to figure out the closing position as well. Because Clay Holmes was unhittable all year, and I think that's the huge difference for the Yanks. The bullpens have not been able to hold on. Of course, the the offense hasn't been the same either, but the bullpen has been a liability. And I think that affects the rest of how Aaron Boone's been managing because you can't trust the the back end of the game anymore. And Clay Holmes has the inability. Right now he's on the injured list, but he was unhittable for a minute there. He was an elite closer, and he sort of turned back into a pumpkin. Now you got to rely on a role as Chapman with your tail between your legs. And he's just not the same pitcher. Roldis Chapman's been. We know that in big spots he comes up short, but he doesn't have the same miles per hour on his fastball. He just looks not like the same pitcher, which is why you see the Yankees are mixing, matching in the closer position. We saw Lewaizka tonight against the Mets. I think we're going to see more of that until maybe Clay Holmes is ready to come back, and they can maybe hope that Clay Holmes are struggling because of injury. To me, it looked like fatigue. It looked like the league sort of figured him out. Uh, maybe he can come back a different pitcher and come back t- with the same the cutter that he was able to throw and make him unhittable. But he looked absolutely mortal for the last month and a half at this point. So the Yankees need to figure that out in the playoffs. And I and I really think the Michael King loss is huge because everybody's got to move up a spot. And if you can't extend the game that long the burdens on a lot of different players. So Michael King is a huge, huge loss for the Yankees. And of course he's not in the lineup scoring runs, but everything sort of is interconnected. And when your offense is, is pushing and they're and they're and you're grinding and gripping that bat a little bit too tight and thinking about, we can't, we have to score runs or even the pitchers that they feel like they have to be perfect because they know their, their offense isn't going to go out there and support them. Sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy all of a sudden. And then all then everybody's gripping it a little bit too tight and putting a lot of pressure on themselves. And I think that's what's going on with the Yanks. They're playing with such carefree, no pressure, house money type of environment where now the pressure's on them. And like I said, they're lucky that they're eight games up because they could be in the midst of one of those like really bad collapses on a different year where Tampa and the Red Sox are as good as they usually are the Yanks could be in huge trouble right now. And I think they're really locking out that they're not three games up instead of eight, man. So moving on, uh, according to stats by P on Twitter, Josh Hader has cut the Padres world series chances in half. So let me read this tweet to you In just five appearances Josh Hader has reduced the Padres championship win probability by 0.6%. The Padres are currently sitting at 0.8% odds to win. So Josh Hader has just about single-handedly cut their World Series odds in half. So obviously it's minuscule and the numbers are there. And someone's playing with those numbers. But everybody's like waiting for them to him to rip off the Padres Jersey reveal. He's been wearing the Brewers Jersey the whole time. Uh, yeah. Hater has been not good. And maybe the Brewers knew something about what's going on with him. We know the locker room situation was always an issue, but he never really disappointed on the, on the field. Uh, I don't know what to say about Josh Hater. He has not looked good. And every, we talk about relievers, their shelf life is bizarre where you go from an elite reliever to a barely serviceable bullpen pitcher overnight. And I'm not saying that happened to Josh Hader. He may be able to turn it around, but we've seen it happen before. And Josh Hader has had an extended shelf life for the Brewers for a long time. Go back and look at guys like Sergio Romo. He went from World Series lights out closer reliever to is Sergio Romo even in the league anymore? Brian Wilson for the Giants as well. So the list is large for these closers that were elite and then disappeared. Maybe Josh Hader's time is just up. And maybe they got to figure out if he's going to, if he, he really needs to figure it out. Is he going to just try to, you know, be in the show just to be in the show and accept his role as not being a closer? and be just a part of a bullpen and be one of those guys that like what Andrew Miller did down the stretch where Andrew Miller went from being one of the best closers in baseball to j- just a guy who just is on a 40 a, a man roster. I don't know if I could see Josh Hader's ego taking that, but that is also part of what has to be considered because it seems like, I don't know. The clock is struck. 11:59, almost 12 on this career of Josh Hader, and that's crazy because when they acquired him, it felt like he was the finishing touches on a decent bullpen, and now he just seems like a liability. And I know they're making kind of tongue-in-cheek with the win probability thing, but he's been really bad. And that kind of stuff is contagious, especially in a new setting. You can't really figure out how to write the ship, and the Padres need to just be like, "All right, well, we're going to put you in the seventh inning, sixth inning, and let you get right." And that itself sometimes is, is damning to your ego, so it's kind of a no-win situation for the Padres right now. Uh, moving on here, I don't know if you guys saw this as well. Uh, Tony Larusa, there's a video of a White Sox fan sitting behind home plate, kind of like caddy corner to home plate, but Tony Larusa is within earshot of this fan, and Tony Larusa decides to pinch hit. Uh, pinch run with Adam Angle with the fan's advice. So if you listen to the fan, he wants Adam Angle to be put on second. And the fan is screaming at Tony Larus get Angle in there. And Tony Larus' old ass gets out of the dugout, tells the umpire, I want Adam Angle in there. And it's just even funnier because he's wearing the City Connect. Southside jerseys. So he just looks absolutely out of place. Uh, Tony La Russa, speaking of the clock running out on your career, can we just get him? He needs to go. He needs to go. All right. Moving on here with the win yesterday, the Orioles avoided a hundred loss season for the first time since 2017, which obviously excludes the 2020 COVID year. So the Orioles right now sit, at 63 and 58 above 500 here. Uh We know that the Orioles have been a very pleasant surprise hanging on in the wild card spot. Probably not going to get in the playoffs, but the fact that they're playing competitive games this late in the year. It's impressive. And we spoke about the Cleveland Guardians and everything they've been able to do. Um uh, Maybe the Orioles defy the odds and get into the AL playoffs. They've been through so much over the past few years. I think they deserve good things. At the risk of hurting the Yankees, I think the Orioles deserve something good. Um, Can you imagine we got a Guardians-Orioles-ALCS? If the Yankees can't make it, maybe I'd sign up for that. Uh, The fact that they're still in the hunt for a playoff spot, that itself is an impressive feat. You have to be happy for the Orioles' success this year. They've just been able to do it with some, some tape and some string and some duct tape and paper clips, and they're piecing it together. So goodbye, punching bagos. It was nice knowing you. Welcome back, Hamden Yards, as one of the... I guess, more premier settings in all of baseball with the fans showing up. Huge, huge fan of Camden Yards. So, looks like that's it on the news. Uh, Last week, I don't know if this was... I didn't mention this, but this was, I think, last Monday. Bumgarner gave up six runs and got a non-ironic standing ovation from the San Francisco Giants crowd, figuring it might be the last time they see him. So, what can be considered sort of like a Bronx cheer for Madison Bumgarner wasn't. I'm going to put it on here. They feel like it might be the last time they see Madison Bumgarner. So, they're like, you know what? Let's show him our respect for everything he did in the postseason for us. And he's probably the best postseason pitcher that I've seen in my lifetime. And sometimes you hang on too long and you're pitching in Arizona in obscurity but and Bumgarner was every bit as advertised and deserved to be recognized. And the Bay Area is just different than New York. It's not like they, they're being sarcastic, and, and Bumgarner appreciated the moment. Pujols, as of two days ago, passed Stan Musial in total bases for number two all-time. I think we can all talk about Pujols being a first-round Hall of Famer, unanimous, has to be. Who's going to vote Albert Pujols down? Uh, I don't know if you guys also saw Jason Varitek. Uh, comes up to a fan wearing a Jason Varitek shirt, and talks to him about like local food, and didn't recognize it was Jason Varitek. And I feel kind of bad for the fan because I put myself there, like in a different context. It's hard. Like even if you've been watching these players for a long time, you're probably like, it's hard to play. Like you're not picturing Jason Varitek there. So everyone's like giving him shit. Like, how do you not recognize Jason Veritek? I guarantee nine out of 10 people wouldn't recognize Jason Veritek in that situation. It's just a fact because you're just like in a different mindset. You're not thinking of seeing that player there. It's a, it's a setting thing. All right. As I mentioned briefly or not so briefly during Pazada's matchup, Michael Harris completed an eight year deal for $72 million. So locked him up on the cheap. He joins the Braves core that is ever growing at this point, able to lock up a very young core. Uh, So if you look at the numbers, it's $30 million more than Albies on a shorter deal, uh, which is crazy. Like if you read Ozzy Albies numbers in comparison, even with these smaller numbers, even with like the the Tatis deal and the Juan Franco deal, Ozzy Albies took a absolute discount and he's set for life at this point. Uh, I think you look at an injury like this year with Ozzy, like at least he can guarantee he's going to be getting paid for an extended period of time, even if he never plays again. Guaranteed money. you I know mean, Ozzy's agent probably tried to convince Albies to let him negotiate more. Uh, but I think Ozzy talks about it to this day that he wanted to get his family into a better situation as quickly as possible because they always supported him his entire life. And if anything, I think it's fair to say the more absurd deal is the Acuna one. Ozzy's a lot more mature and honestly. I guess more consistent than Acuna. He knew the type of deal he was taking. Acuna probably got maybe taken advantage by the Braves early on, and if you remember correctly, Acuna took one of the took the short deal for a similar reason—a knee injury, not the ACL—and he wanted to be set for life. Now him and Ozzy are locked down for years with life-changing money. Obviously, it's not going to be like Mike Trout money or Max Scherzer money. But, you know, they're able to be on, we got to remember, like, in baseball terms, yeah, they're not making the same in the same scope of money as some of these other players. But at what point is it just like money, money's money when you're able to not even think about your bills and everything that needs to go into it, like you're making it's life changing money, even for Michael Harris, that's life changing money. 72 million dollars is generational type of money that will keep you not thinking about finances for a very long time, so. Now you have to also consider Vaughn Grissom and Vaughn Grissom has to be putting pressure on Dansby as well, because now Dansby probably would be next up to get another extended deal, but they have to be seeing some of what's been going on with Vaughn Grissom. Like, Hey, maybe, maybe just maybe we can keep Vaughn for a discount rather than signing Dansby to a long-term deal. Uh, if you look at the big, the grand scope of things, Freddie Freeman obviously walked and we know all the drama that went on with that. And now he's, he probably would still be here. Uh, Chipper warned Freddie. Don't play the game with the Atlanta front office. If you go above what the front office values you at, they will absolutely move on. And it, I think dudes really want to play for the Braves and snit Kerr. And some of the other guys they grew up loving the Braves. You think about Strider, Harris, Riley, we're all from the southeast. And if the Braves can drop Freddie, they'll probably drop anybody. And not to mention Michael Harris, seventy two million dollars is still a shitload of money to give a 21 year old kid who really has only played two months. So and think about it with Grissom coming up, the Braves probably want to resign Dansby if the price is right, but you don't want to overpay him like you didn't overpay for any of these other guys. Right now, Dansby's having a career year in a contract season. His price is definitely going to be high. And I would imagine he'd be overpaid from somebody else. And you have to be kind of happy that Grissom's putting some pressure on Dansby. If Grissom keeps playing like he is right now, you could look at Dansby in the face and say, if you want to stay in Atlanta, Take a discount like everybody else. If not, see you later. Like, like I said, if Freddie Freeman's replaceable, so is Dansby Swanson. I mean, I obviously Braves fans have to be happy with Dansby and his year he's having. But and you want him to get paid what he's worth, but I don't think the Braves can do it. So I think the Braves had that same discussion with Freddie, and I know we know how the cloak was lifted on that a little bit. The only difference is there's not there wasn't a good first base prospect behind Freddie. And they went out and got Olson and they had to get Olson before the clock, you know, the time was out on, on that. But Vaughn's right behind there. I think the difference between Dansby being Freddie right now is that Freddie Freeman has been one of the best hitters in all of baseball for the last decade and a gold glove caliber first baseman. And Dansby hasn't Dan's hasn't been close. It's just been this year. It's a career year. Uh, I think Braves fans probably think that Grissom could pan out. Um, because Cray and Turner are definitely going to be very, very expensive this winter. So just a little side note on that. Let me know what you guys think about the Harris deal and how you are feeling about what the Braves are able to do is, you know, take the Braves hate out of it. Just think about their front office as a whole. So that's pretty much it for the news. I think I'm looking through the rest of it. Uh, this, uh, I got a good piece of news here, actually. So this was Buck Showalter. Buck Showalter was told the Braves players were getting their soft serve ice cream machine back as the general manager promised. If they won three or four against the Mets. Showalter said, what did they get taken away for losing four or five to us? I love the heat between the Mets and the Braves. The rivalry is back. I know both teams have never liked each other, but Buck Showalter really leaning into it. Uh, the players talk to each other nonstop and crack jokes, but fan bases absolutely hate each other, man. Awesome. I want to see them meet up in the playoffs. Cause that'd be a banging national league series. So come back. We're just going to wrap it up here on the commission rapper show. We've gotten a little bit long. I appreciate you guys listening. I will be back in one second. All right, well that's going to do it for the Commission Wrap Up Show. I want to appreciate you guys for listening. This is the week 18 wrap up. Next week we have a week 19 wrap up coming on Sunday night. Hopefully, if all things go correctly and scheduling wise, week 20 will be our final power ranking season and kind of a season wrap up with myself and Devin on here. And then moving into the rest of the, the rest of the season, we're going to be doing a weekly playoff preview format may change. I'm going to hope to get some guests on here. To talk about the playoffs moving in. If you'd like to come on please don't be shy. Hop on here and join the conversation. We'll talk about baseball. We'll talk about For the Fame. We'll talk about wrestling if you want. We'll talk about Johnny Gargano. We'll talk about what you want. We'll talk about food. We'll talk about pizza. We'll talk about who should get the For the Fame fantasy baseball tattoo. I don't know. The only thing we're not talking about is fantasy football just yet. We gotta finish out this baseball season strong. Gotta see it through. We have a huge, huge next couple of weeks coming forward. We're gonna be crowning a new Joseph George Lucchese champion. Will it be Travis repeating? Will it be any of the other five people gunning for that title? We shall see. But until next time, I'm the commish, and I'm out.